Hello, welcome. Thanks for dropping into time in the studio. This is a space for helping you nurture yourself, your creativity, and the planet. Wanted to share a quick update. It just started snowing here in Colorado, so beautiful. And I also launched my course, Savor the Season. It's a herbal health course. And it has been so life-changing. It's such a treat and an honor to be able to sit with a circle of folks and talk about working with plants each week. And it gets to merge my passion of nutrition and herbalism and creativity and making things fun and simple and doable. And it's I just love getting to hear what people are making And I'm so passionate about helping people to feel better and take wellness into their own hands. So I'm really excited to refine and relaunch the course in January. You can hop on the waitlist if you want. It's at www.adazia.com slash course. And there will be a link in the show notes for that. And it's so empowering to make your own remedies and the world needs more plant people and home herbalists. So I would love to connect with you in the next cohort if that resonates. Uh, In this episode, we, I got to chat with Sarah Emily Spears and it was such a blast. We met a few months ago and I just love to see how she's sharing her expertise and wisdom with the world via her podcast. It's called the Empowered Eating and Living Podcast and also through her courses, memberships, and consultations. And this episode is packed with ideas of how we can unwind old stories that we may have within our bodies about food. And Sarah shares how to heal from our trauma by connecting with others and being more vulnerable. She shares her journey with eating, having an eating disorder and has so many innovative ways of supporting others who struggle with their relationship with food. And I just really love the focus on working with people in a community and in that container. It just can really transform things for people. So it was really inspiring. I also want to mention this podcast is for informational and educational purposes, and it does not replace therapy or medical support. I am an herbalist, not a doctor. Please consult with a professional licensed practitioner for additional guidance if you are needing more assistance. I also want to give a big shout out to Aaron Travers of the of the band Emptier uh, for the show music, and thanks to you all for listening, liking, sharing, rating, reviewing the podcast, being Patreon members. So I'm so grateful to everyone who is making this podcast possible. So thank you. Uh, Okay, let's get into it. Here we go. Cha-cha-cha. I am so honored and delighted to have on the podcast today, Sarah Emily Spears. She is an alternative healing arts practitioner, empowered eating coach, and trained psychotherapist who specializes in guiding women through doing the inner work to address the root of food and eating issues. She has an amazing podcast called the Empowered Eating and Living Podcast and is the facilitator of the Energize Your Life program. It's designed to empower you with the information and tools to improve eating issues, reduce food cravings, and find relief from emotional wounds and experience greater inner peace and self-acceptance. She also teaches EFT techniques and is a Reiki practitioner and formerly 
Sarah Emily worked as a licensed marriage and family therapist, as director of behavioral health program, as premier fitness camp, and ran the intensive treatment program for binge eating disorder at the University of California, San Diego. She holds an MA in marriage and family therapy from the University of San Diego and a BA in psychology from Syracuse University. Sarah, Emily, thank you so much for being here today. Yay, I'm I'm really excited to be here and for this combo. Me too. I got to meet you through a fun chance encounter. I was teaching a workshop about food as medicine. And, and then I've also gotten more familiar with your podcast as well. And I just realized there is such a cool overlap. And I'm fascinated with food as medicine and working with plants and how we can really support our emotional inner being through what we do on the outside and vice versa. So I just, I can't wait to dive in and talk more about your work. So where to begin? Where are you now and what brought you there? Well, I'm physically right now in Boulder, which is why we met at the apothecary. And it was so kind of serendipitous, the meeting. And immediately I was like, ooh, you have a knowledge base that I would love to tap into. And it's such a compliment to the work that I do because while I focus on healing around food, it's not from the herbal side of things or food being the medicine. It's really looking at the emotional and mental wounds that are affecting how we relate to food or how we eat food, how much we eat, kind of the, the energy that drives the behavior. And so I kind of got there through a very long journey, but I, it started with my own struggle with an eating disorder in my twenties. And that just really opened up this fascination with trying to understand the psychology of eating and all the intricate factors that influence how we eat and why we eat. And so eventually I went back to school to become a marriage and family therapist because I was really fascinated at the time with supporting children and teens with eating disorders and really working with the family system to be able to support a healthier way of being in one's body and with food. And then over time that just evolved to me working in all sorts of settings. You know, I'm formally trained with eating disorders, specifically binge eating disorder. And then I sort of went on to branch off into my own business where I now integrate more traditional approaches with a lot of alternative based healing because I've discovered and really love processes such as emotional freedom technique and Reiki that are really working on the energy body and ultimately you know, everything is really energy, what we're thinking, how we're feeling, the the impulses of the brain that are telling us to eat or not eat, like it all at the end of the day boils down to energy. And so it feels like a really fun and important piece to, to really integrate into one's understanding of food and eating and why they do what they do. So now I support women across the world through my you know, different services and really doing the deeper inner work to look at all of these underlying factors that we don't even realize are affecting how we eat. It's really fun. That is so powerful and phenomenal and such important work. And it's, I don't know anyone else working in the way that you are. It's really innovative. And I can see how you're just supporting families to step forward in this new way and women to step forward in this new way of 
just showing up for themselves differently, showing up for their families differently, relating to food and themselves and each other differently. It's just, yeah, really mind-blowing. I am excited to dive into those connections a little bit more because I've seen how guilt, I see guilt and shame come up a lot around food issues. And I loved your recent podcast interview kind of talking about, oh, I could have been better, coulda, shoulda, woulda, you know, that kind of mentality. And so I'm curious in how you can work with people to kind of overcome those feelings of guilt and do what's right for themselves. Yeah. I start by looking at what the beliefs are in place because most people have pretty strong food rules. You know, we've all been conditioned by a plethora of messages and information about what foods are good or healthy and what foods are bad or unhealthy. And the messages you heard may be very different from the messages I heard. So there's no actual universal agreement around what is or isn't good, bad, healthy, unhealthy. And yet we all have our own beliefs in place. And if we have a belief, you know, I used to have this running list in my mind of all the bad foods. Processed foods are bad. Fried foods are bad. You know, the, the common <laughs> culprits or the, the ones that get demonized, you know, sugar is bad. But the reality is anytime I ate a food in my mind that I had labeled as bad, and this goes for anyone, then you experience shame and guilt because shame and guilt are emotions that result from doing something bad, right? And so if we start to change the labels and the the beliefs that we have in place, and we give ourselves permission to stop using that terminology altogether and say, actually, every food or food-like product is just inherently neutral. It is not good or bad. You know, I tell people I could eat a cookie right now and be totally fine. I'm not going to get diabetes tomorrow. But if I, there's a spectrum, if I end up eating cookies for breakfast, lunch, and dinner 10 times a day, every day for the next three years, of course, I'm going to get sick. And so everything is a matter of that moderation and creating space to like the foods that you like and eat them in appropriate amounts or quantities for your body and release the energy of guilt and shame and give yourself this permission. And that's sort of what we call the permission paradox, which is that when you finally give yourself permission for it to be okay to like the foods you like, eat the foods you like, even if you've been taught that they're quote unquote bad or toxic, that we tend to actually be satisfied with a lot less. And over time, we can start to notice if it's actually a food we truly like. So I have a lot of clients I work with who, you know, they might think that they're addicted to these processed foods, but really what's driving them eating them so much is because they told themselves they can't and we have this inner rebel that like hates the idea of never having something again in our life and so we end up like overdoing it because there's this panic or fear around this scarcity of never having something we like and the thing especially with kids is that we like these foods so it can be so confusing when you're like but i really like the oreos i really like mcdonald's but i keep hearing this message i shouldn't have it or I'm gonna you know, gain weight if I eat this, or this is bad. And then we have this like incongruence in what we naturally like and what we are told we should or shouldn't do. And so this it creates this whole world of complications around one's self-image, because especially for children, if they believe they've done something bad, 
they begin to conclude, I am bad. And then that can lead to a whole plethora of problems as we grow up, if that's one of the beliefs that we put in place when we're younger. Wow. You just are blowing my mind. <laughs> I was going to say, I just took you on a very long journey around your question, which was just how do we deal with shame and guilt? So uh, maybe too far. <laughs> no, that was wonderful. And I think it is so interesting. There is that paradox, you know, like when you, when you're, you know, a, not acknowledging something and you're suppressing it, it just, it's like a whack-a-mole. Like it just like pops up in like places you don't expect. But if you can just accept it and be with that feeling and be like, oh, this is what's going on, then it can change and evolve and kind of, you know, come become something new and become something more balanced that we can work with. So I love that. Yeah, the first step in change is acceptance and awareness without the judgment or the criticism. And so you know, it's okay to desire to change or improve your eating habits. And it's really important to just be so mindful of how you're talking to yourself about the choices you're making or the behaviors you're engaging in, because it's the guilt and shame that sends us typically into this overeating spiral, right? We see this with binge eating and bulimia patterns where it's the thought after eating something that we said was bad is, oh, oh my gosh, I messed up. I'm so mad at myself. I shouldn't have done that. I'm, I'm never going to get better. I'm such a failure. And, and the self-talk actually creates more of those emotions. And then we feel so bad that we continue to eat. And it actually perpetuates the cycle of no longer eating to honor the body, but eating to actually soothe all of the guilt, shame, frustration, self-loathing we've created through how we're talking to ourselves. Wow. Yeah. There's so much emotional eating history in my own family line. And, and I just see it happens with everyone, but I see women, especially, I feel like are impacted by rules around food and guilt and shame and what our bodies are supposed to look like and trying to avoid fat. I mean, I think that fat phobia is so problematic because we need fat in our body. We need healthy fats to build hormones or everything starts going haywire. And so, yeah, it's just interesting how it's, it's just a wild, wild ride. Yeah. And how much the conditioning, both that we experience in our culture actually influences how our parents and grandparents came to believe you know, the beliefs they formed about food in their body. So then these messages get passed down generationally. And so then we are kind of, you know, hit from all angles with all these beliefs around how the body should look or how you should eat. And it can be really confusing to try and navigate. How do I just nourish myself in a way that is healthy and does help me feel good without getting too restrictive or to, you know, kind of this, that all or nothing, like too crazy where I'm just free for all overeating all the time. Yeah. I love that you're helping to bring that awareness in for people. Yeah. It's always something I, I kind of reflect on with just awe because, you know, all the other animals in, in the animal kingdom do not have this level of confusion or energy that goes into trying to figure out what to eat. And human beings are the one species that has managed to make something that is just innate to all animals, like the most 
confusing, complicated thing. And so, you know, we really are all trying to figure it out. It's so true. Yeah, it's funny. I'm curious. I love that you're working with Reiki and with EFT to help people work through their emotions. I'd love to hear just you speak about that experience, how you came to those techniques and what you see it do for people. Yeah. Well, as you mentioned, right, with this experience with emotional eating, a lot of us learn to feed our feelings instead of feel them. And so I started to realize that actually the problem isn't food. The problem is a coping problem that we haven't learned how to recognize our emotions, be with our emotions and feel and process them effectively so that those move through the body and don't stay stuck or lodged in our body. Because over time, the repressed or unprocessed emotional energy builds and creates this internal discomfort, which just further exacerbates our brain going to get more food to try and help this internal feeling or discomfort subside or momentarily feel better. And so that's really what happens when we have this emotional eating cycle is that the brain has learned from a very young age, especially for kids, right? We could see this scenario. Kid falls down, scrapes their knee, is crying, and mom says, oh, you're okay, here, have an ice pop. And so in that moment where a parent had really good intentions, I know my child's okay. I don't want my child to be upset. I want them to feel better. Ooh, popsicles make them feel better. What the child heard, heard was, oh, mom, I shouldn't be upset. I'm not supposed to be crying. And the brain realizes food really helped me feel better. And so over time, we can start to have this unconscious response that becomes ingrained in the brain of any time the brain starts to detect those emotions that we were told we shouldn't feel, whether it's anger or sadness, shame, et cetera, immediately our brain is telling us to eat, to try and help regulate that energy. And so the more we can start to realize in the present moment, if this is emotional hunger or physical hunger, and if it's emotional hunger, be able to actually be with and process the emotion, then the need for food disappears or subsides because you've addressed the reason why the brain was wanting you to eat in the first place. And so with this realization, I kind of set out on a mission to explore any and all healing modalities, A, to help myself, because initially I set out on this path because I had an eating disorder. And then B, because I wanted to know like what was really gonna support me so I could bring that knowledge and that technology to any other person who was struggling the way that I was. And so it was kind of, serendipitous you know i think when you ask the universe to like show you the way you start to get people and opportunities that just show up on your path and so you know i just happened to go to this tapping circle having no idea what it was and thinking that it kind of sounded kooky that tapping on our face and body was somehow gonna help me stop binging on food like i don't get how that works and lo and behold you know i showed up to the circle with my anxiety a 10 out of 10 already planning what foods i was going to get on the way home and by the end of it my anxiety was like seemingly gone and i felt great and i just went home and was like whoa okay i don't have to live in this state of anxiety and wow when when i process my emotions i don't want to eat anymore like this is too good to be true and I need to understand what's going on. And so I just dove in that rabbit hole of 
you know, attending a ton of tapping trainings and starting to get certified. And the more I learned, the more fascinating it is because emotional freedom technique actually is an evidence-based modality that has hundreds of research studies supporting its efficacy and how it's working on the brain. You know, there's one study in particular that looked at food cravings and what was happening in the brain. And for participants, after even just six weeks, the MRI scan revealed that the region of the brain that initially was being activated with the craving had significantly reduced. And that change in how the brain was responding lasted months and months later. It doesn't come back. So we can actually use tapping to not just process emotions, but to actually change how the brain is firing and wiring, which is so exciting to know that we can do this rewiring work. That is incredible. And I forgot that EFT stands for emotional freedom technique. And I, I love that, that reminder that our emotions, we can choose them and to create more freedom of what we're feeling and more choice rather than it feeling like a cage, you know, of our, within our body of our feelings, like we get to decide how we feel. Absolutely. And when we didn't learn how to do that for ourselves, or we weren't taught that, Many of us don't realize how infrequently we're actually doing that for ourselves, or how disconnected from the emotional body we've become. And so there really is a relearning process of starting to become embodied again and really start to understand what emotions you've repressed. Oh, this is what how I feel when I'm angry. Okay. And, and like really being present with like all the new parts and pieces of yourself so that you really can empower yourself then in that moment to decide how you're gonna to respond to that emotion in a way that you truly need. Because most likely food is not actually what you need in that moment. It's just what you've learned to fall back on because you're desperate to try and feel better and you haven't learned the tools yet to actually help yourself achieve that. And to answer your second question, which was about Reiki, you know, that was again, sort of, universally orchestrated where I was at a volunteer experience and this woman showed up and she was just glowing and radiating. And I thought, I don't, whatever you're doing, I want it. If it's a drug, I will take it. But like, I need that. And it turned out she was a Reiki master teacher. And so I started to go through all the Reiki trainings because I was still really struggling with my own disordered eating. And what Reiki really helped me reconnect to was this I would say power greater than me, this idea of self-love and forgiveness and feeling really supported because over time I'd sort of disconnected from this, you know, loving presence and divine intelligence, which I think is actually a really crucial part of our human existence and health. And so Reiki for me was, was the path to like reconnect me to self and to God. Beautiful. Yeah. I, I think I've, loved Reiki for years as well. And just, it feels so good to give Reiki and to get Reiki. And I feel like you can, you know, just working with clients, just holding them in mind, like you can just send good thoughts to people and kind of help facilitate more healing for people. Yeah. It's really at the end of the day, just love, which is, you know, the ingredient in any type of healing. When we support each other with loving hearts, then creates a container where that person can receive that and begin to kind of facilitate the healing that they need 
with mm-hmm. that sort of support. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good reminder that we don't heal nature heals. Like it's just, it happens, but I think with love, with developing deeper relationships and deeper communities that just happens inherently. It makes me think about your program. I'd love to hear more about that, that offering of your, your community. Yeah. I call it energize your life. So we really do the inner work to sort of energize our being and our soul self kind of back online. I find for many women, they've been struggling with food and overeating for so long that it's almost like it's the food has put out stuffed out the light of our soul and we're disconnected from ourself and the shame that's around it leads women to sort of hide in secrecy there's so much shame most people don't you know seek support from friends or professionals and so they're suffering alone and from my own experience it's actually being in the safety of community that the most healing can happen the most quickly and for a few reasons one our wounds usually are created in relationship and so we need relationship to actually have corrective experiences of what it is to feel seen to feel heard to feel understood to feel safe to feel cared for to feel like i matter and if i have shame well shame cannot exist when we are in community and it's received by someone who cares and isn't judging us the way our mind is judging us right And then thirdly, when we're using food, food is a way we self-regulate, but the ideal is to learn how to co-regulate. So we're actually learning how to bring ease and safety to our nervous system by being in contact with other human beings who have nervous systems and energy systems that are alive. And it's through the interconnection that we're able to feel a little bit of the healing that we need. Like we talked about with Reiki, like this love, this loving presence. When I with that it's like magic happens versus when we try to do things alone it's really hard when we have all the judgments and all these wounds and parts that are really hurting us to sometimes be able to give ourselves the love and compassion we need to heal and so we're not meant to do healing alone we really are hardwired to do this in community and so that was my intention with this this group container is that for six months you get to have a space where you are with other beings who get it, who are heart-centered, who understand the struggle and who truly desire to, to heal. And our focus is not really about food and eating, but it's actually about the whole self. So I'm really empowering people with the tools and processes to begin to you know, change the eating programming from childhood, to change how your brain is responding to the foods that you crave using tapping, to access the repressed emotional wounds that potentially are still affecting you in the present, to learn the tools to take care of your energy body and have good energy hygiene so you're not absorbing all the environmental energies that might contribute to you eating to soothe and to reconnect you to your soul self so that you don't use food to fill the void, but instead instead of find other means of pleasure and joy in your life outside of food. Because for so many people, food becomes our source of pleasure and that's it. Nothing else brings us joy or this is what I turn to when I need love or connection. Instead of actually finding ways to cultivate those feelings and those those needs of the soul, it's like how we actually nourish our soul. It can't be done with food. It has to be through usually time human interaction with people who see us, want to be with us, 
you know, that authentic connection and intimacy. And so we work on all of this inside the six months, six months, <laughs> there go my words. So we work <laughs> on all of this inside the six months. We work on all of this together in the program. Oh, amazing. That is so profound. And it makes so much sense. I never would have thought of that, but it, it just, that is incredible to be able to work with your ways of relating to food and yourself in community and working on that with other people. That's such a beautiful way to release shame and guilt and not have that be such a big part of the picture. Yeah, exactly. It's, it really is important. And for me, the beauty of the community space is that everyone realizes that we all have some medicine to offer each other. And so it's nice because it's not like I'm the guru who's going to heal you. It's re I'm all about empowerment. So it's like, I'm giving you the power with the information and the tools and the space to connect, to actually like take ownership over your own healing and to realize everything you need is inside of you and inside this community and in connection. And we all are this beautiful circle that is just supporting each other versus, you know, the lone man trying to do it alone, which just doesn't work and isn't fun. So here we have, you know, a space where you don't have to do it that way. Amazing. So does that work? Like everybody comes into the container at the same time and then leaves at the same time? Like there's a start and a stop? Or is it right now it's sort of rolling so the way i've structured it is that when you feel the call and you need a space like you can join and so i have six months worth of video modules so wherever you're at when you join you can start to learn the content at your own pace and then join our live calls to be able to have the experiential part and the connection part right off the bat because from my experience when individuals are really suffering with this you don't want to have to wait another six months before the next program starts to get the help you need. It's like the despair to find a solution now is usually so high that I want there to be an opportunity to not have to wait, but to get the support as soon as you're ready. That is a brilliant structure. I love that. I'm curious for the calls when it is more cohort based and you're leaving space for other people's wisdom to come in. Do you? present like a lecture or a question or you know like how does that flow yeah, it varies and I sort of open myself to the greater wisdom to kind of guide me on to how to facilitate each call but typically do a very quick teaching or focus on a topic present some questions that everyone gets to journal on and then we go into breakout rooms so that they can have a moment to connect with someone else intimately and they support each other in that exploration of this topic. I also teach a method that I call SAFE, which is a way to learn how to really check in with yourself and notice the stories you're telling yourself, the actions you're taking, the feelings and the energies that are present in the body. And then when you can really recognize what's going on inside of you in that moment, they can practice co-regulation with each other. So in those breakout rooms, you have an opportunity to practice co-regulation with another being. And then we usually come back into the same space and I tend to guide everyone through 
an emotional freedom technique practice or guided meditation or a Reiki practice so that they can experience some of the healing tools together. And then depending on what emerges in that, we may do sort of a, what I would call a hot seat, but somebody who gets to demo with me. And so I'll work one-on-one -on -one with that person, but all the bodies on the call actually create this universal body. So we're all actually supporting with our loving presence this one person and actually moving through their own wounds and in doing so shifting those parts within ourselves too. So it takes all different flavors and shapes and it kind of is emergent, but it's, it's fun. <laughs> that sounds amazing and so fun and so nourishing and just what a transformative circle. That's really incredible. And yeah. then I saw you also have one-on-one -on -one offerings. So if people want like more, you know, like a a deeper connection just with you, they can do that as well. Yes, I do work with people one-on-one. -on -one. I have a wait list for that right now, which is another reason I created the group so that people didn't have to wait to be able to work with me. But for those who really feel that call for some one-on-one -on -one attention, they have the opportunity to join my wait list. And then, you know, when a spot becomes open, I, I open that up to someone, so. And I will say, because a lot of people tend to think, oh, I need the one-on-one -on -one help. I don't need a group. But the reality is most people are just afraid to join a group because it feels vulnerable to be seen by strangers. And once you overcome that fear and you actually come into the container, most people tell me, I love the group. I can't wait for it. I miss it when I'm not there. And I love the connection. So it really is one of the, the crucial elements of healing is to have that that connectivity. And while I can provide a little bit of that one-on-one, -on -one, you it's a missing element in the one-on-one -on -one work that you get in the group container. So that's my plug for for the group. <laughs> yeah, that's that makes so much sense. I mean, I I feel like I love being in a circle with other people. I there is just something that happens differently than is possible one-on-one -on -one or by yourself. So I, I think that's, that's such a powerful offering. Yeah. I'm curious. Yeah. The empowered eating course for children too, is just such a beautiful idea. I'm curious, like how that idea came about. Cause it's slight, it feels like slightly different, but also completely grounded and so aligned with everything, but a little different. It is. And I would say in general, parenting is not my area of focus or expertise, but with all of the women I was working with, hundreds and hundreds, there were sort of two patterns that kept emerging. And one is without fail, we would go back in time and the origins of their eating and food issues started in childhood. And I kept seeing the same patterns with parents that was showing up. And without fail with the mothers, they had this strong motivation to come work with me because they wanted to break the pattern and not pass this on to their own children. And so I recognize that if I'm really committed to this cause supporting people in this healing, that part of it has to be prevention. And it's a whole lot harder to work with an adult to go back in time and repair what happened to them 20, 30 years ago than it is to actually support the child in the present from not even developing those attachments in the first place. And so that's where this idea of the empowered raising and empowered eater course came is that I just wanted 
there were just a few key things that if only parents knew these few key things, they could potentially prevent their child from being on a path to develop emotional eating or disordered eating. And so it's really just a sort of introduction to some of those key principles around, you know, how do you raise an empowered eater? How do I support my child in feeling their feelings so that they don't learn on their own how to use food to self-regulate and really giving parents the emotional processing tools to be able to validate their child's emotional experience and teach them how to be with those emotions. So that's really what it is. I talk le- a little bit about food and the mindset around food and some of the eating experiences we can have, like ideally not using food as a reward or a form of punishment. You know, so there are some guidelines that I think are really important for parents to know, but the bulk of it is really looking at actually dealing with emotions. Beautiful. And I saw you also incorporate inner child work in working with people as well. So kind of bringing in that, that element seems important. Exactly. I mean, the bulk work that I do with adults is inner child healing, Mm -hmm. which is why I really felt like, man, if parents knew (laughs) how to support their child, we could make this job a lot easier on ourselves as adults by not having to do as much, you know, kind of retroactive healing to support our inner child. And really what children are needing is emotional nourishment. Most parents are really good at providing food and shelter and clothing and water and meeting the survival needs of the physical body. But really where parents tend to have an opportunity to improve is with the emotional nourishment that children also need as much as the physical aspects. So I think our parents and our parents' parents really were more focused on making sure there's food on the table. And now we're entering a time in this world, I think, where we're really starting to understand how we support a being on a soul level and an emotional level and parenting is starting to take more of that sort of conscious approach. Yeah, definitely. I see that a lot in my postpartum doula work. And I see also that, that jump to like, oh, they're crying, gotta feed them. And it's like, sometimes they don't, they're not hungry. They just want to be held. You know, there's different kinds of cries. And so I think that is so interesting to just check in and see, is it an emotional need? Is it a physical need? You know, maybe they're dehydrated. It's not always a food need. And so I think that's a great, great thing to reflect on and check in with. And so a parent can start to wonder that about their child and then teach their child to wonder that for themselves, because really the point of the raising an empowered eater is you are giving the power to the child to be able to do this for themselves. But the child with time can be able to pause and say, huh, is this emotional hunger or physical hunger? Am I truly hungry right now? Or am I just angry about what my brother just did to me? And really what I need to do is deal with my anger, right? And kids, I mean, they are so smart and savvy. Like if we teach them this, they really can pick, pick up on this and develop an emotional intelligence and awareness that will be a superpower for them over the course of their life. And this isn't just going to help them not turn to food to self-soothe, but really prevent all forms of addiction, whether it's with substances or drugs or, you know, turn into somebody who's a workaholic because, you know, we find lots of clever ways to avoid feeling our feelings if we aren't taught how. And there's the stereotypical, you know, men are told or boys don't cry. And so being able to support a son 
in being able to emote and feel his tenderness and his vulnerability is actually a superpower, you know, and often girls hear, oh, don't be angry or don't be bitchy. And so to actually empower your daughter to be able to feel anger and know how to like process that in a healthy way, like these are gifts that we can give our children that are going to support them over their entire life. So they don't become people pleasers. So they don't be cold, become cold narcissists, you know, so that we're just human beings who are feeling like we're supposed to. Oh, oh my God. Amazing. That's so beautiful. I have a couple questions, a little lightning round and then space for anything else that comes up. Great. I'm, I'm curious who is somebody inspiring you right now and why? I I'm feeling inspired right now by my Reiki master teacher because to me, she's such a living embodiment of what it is to truly love all beings and to, to be that love. And so I just always really am inspired by her presence and it gives me a, a way of being that I really aspire to. Oh, amazing. Wonderful. Is, is she someone people can look up? Yes, I can provide her Instagram tag, but it, her name is Christy Marsh. Oh, cool. Thank you. Okay, next question. Best advice you've gotten recently? What comes to mind right now is something a friend told me who's also a healer. And she said, the point of healing is not to feel better. It's to get better at feeling. And when I heard that, it like totally changed my whole perspective on healing because I'd been striving for so long to achieve this place where I just feel good all the time and I'm happy all the time and I have no suffering. And that reframe and that that quote, which she quoted from someone else, so I'm not giving this being due credit, but this idea that really the goal of healing is to get better at feeling for me just made so much sense and and really feels like the truth of what healing actually is about. That's amazing. I, and I was like, my whole, my, you know, the image of the brain that's like blown up. <laughs> mind blown. Wow. I know you keep blowing my mind today too. I'm just like, wow, that is, that makes so much sense. And I feel that so deeply, like with flower essences, with nutrition, with just, yeah, Reiki, all the things. It's learning to, feel into ourselves. Exactly. Without the expectation that it should look like rainbows and butterflies. Like that's just a misperception and myth that can keep us all feeling really bad about ourselves if we're not in that space, but we're super committed to our healing. It kind of gives us permission for it to be messy. And actually that's exactly how it should be. So you're doing it the right way if it feels that way. Wow. Thank you. I, I think I needed to hear that today because sometimes you don't want things to be messy. You want it to be all put together and organized and in a nice box and positive and rainbows and sparkles. And it's like, sometimes it's just, it isn't and feeling yes. into that. And the more that I find we open up to the messiness of healing and to really feel our feelings and be connected to that inner world, Usually when we say yes, then like more and more emerges. Whereas when we're unconscious and disconnected from our emotional body, like we're not prepared to receive that or feel that. So we actually tend to start feeling more deeply and more intensely and it tends to get messier. 
the further along our healing journey we go because we build our capacity to handle more, if that makes sense. Totally. Wow. That is amazing. I'm curious, something that you're proud of. I'm really proud of this work. Honestly, it was a, a dream of my soul for so long to like have my own business and serve women in this way. And, you know, for years you're like going to school and then getting your hours for licensure. And so it was just such a long road to this point that it just feels really good to finally like be doing the thing I've been striving to create and do for what feels like my whole life. It makes so much sense. I mean, I can see all these threads coming together and it's just this amazing synergy of things, ways that you get to help people and help yourself. And it just seems so beautiful and aligned and makes so much sense. So that's, I love that. Yeah. Thank you. It feels that way, which is why it's exciting and fun. Yeah. I love that. What's something you're excited about coming up in the year ahead? I am excited because I'm moving back to San Diego, which no offense, Boulder, but it's just, that's my home. And so I get to go back into the space that I really love. And I'm planning to hopefully birth a few more projects that are coming down the pipeline of wanting to be created. I really am ready to get back to some in-person retreats and experiences. And that feels really good because as fun as it is to be able to work anywhere remotely, I also love the in-person connection and what that can create. So hoping 2023 to be able to, to have some of those experiences lined up. Oh, that would be so amazing. Yeah. I could imagine you would have just the most incredible retreats and just hold space in such a beautiful way. Yeah. So if anyone wants to come to San Diego, Mark your calendars. That sounds amazing. And last lightning round question, any favorite tools or resources you want to share that are particularly helpful? Well, my favorite tool is emotional freedom technique. So I would love to offer you a resource that I have, which is a 20 minute, basically overview of tapping. It's sort of an intro video I've created for anyone who is like, what is she talking about? I don't know what that is. How do I learn more? So that's one of my favorite resources. There's a ton of amazing books that people could read to start to explore the world of of healing, you know, whether that anchored or the five personality patterns. Those are two books that come to mind initially really focus on understanding trauma and how to go about doing some of the repair work if that affects anybody. Yeah, I would say those come to mind as like the top top two. I love that. I could see your, I love your quiz and I will have a link for that in the show notes and also for the, your EFT masterclass. My quiz would be to support someone in understanding the underlying factors that may be affecting their relationship with food in their body. So it's just a really quick way to check. Oh, yep. I definitely have repressed my emotions and, oh yes, I'm disconnected from my soul. And so it just helps someone really see a full picture of their own unique body because everybody's experience is different. So then you can understand a, if you would benefit from potentially joining my container, because that's what we're working on, but also B just having greater self-awareness can empower someone to recognize, oh snap, it's really my mindset. That is my biggest, like 
vulnerability area. And that's where I need to put my energy. It's not about controlling food. I need to change how I'm thinking and talking to myself, right? And so it's going to help highlight those areas that you'd really benefit from addressing for yourself. Oh, amazing. Thank you for that. That's fantastic. Well, Sarah, Emily, I want to leave space. If there's anything else coming to the surface that you want to be sure to share, and then also best ways for people to contact you. Yeah. Well, I'm so thankful for the opportunity to share with you and your audience. It's just something that I could talk about for forever. There's so much, so many nuances. And so if anyone is like curious to continue the conversation or that they have questions for me, they can reach out to me on my website, which is sarahspears.com. You can find me on Instagram, which is at Sarah Emily Spears. And I really genuinely would love to hear from anybody and, and answer any questions. I know that in doing this work, it is really important to find like a goodness of fit. You know, having a practitioner you really trust and feel gets it and gets you. And so I'm happy to connect with people to be able to answer those questions and help them decide for them if I'm an aligned or right fit or this programming container makes sense for them. So that would be sort of the piece that I would want people to know is if up until now, the only thing you've tried as a solution to end emotional eating is control food, then I want to invite you to consider if maybe there's actually a plethora of underlying areas that they haven't explored that would be super valuable to explore. And if there is that curiosity and that realization of actually, no, I haven't worked on my mental body, emotional body, energy body, or soul body. And I think that may help me <laughs> keep an open mind and, and be willing to explore those things because it, it's really, really valuable when you do. Oh, so beautiful. Well, thank you so much for making time today. It was such a delight and an honor to be able to chat with you and to learn so much more about your work and these beautiful offerings. So yeah, thank you for making time today. Yeah, my pleasure and honor. Thank you. Wowie zowie. I totally forgot to let you know that Sarah and I did a podcast trade. So I was on her podcast, the Empowered Eating and Living podcast, and I share my not so secret love for flower essences and how you can work with them to support your own emotional and healing journey. Um, so be sure to check that out. You can connect with Sarah on Instagram at Sarah Emily Spears. She has an H at the end of her name. And you can connect with me on Instagram at Sarah Marie Studio, and that's no H at the end of my name. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please share it with a friend or to your social media stories. You can tag me, Time in the Studio Podcast, or at Sarah Marie Studio, and I will try to reshare that. I'm not always on social media, but I try to be somewhat present. Uh, and I hope you are tending to yourself in these days of seasonal changes and allowing yourself to process and feel the feelings. So uh, may our efforts benefit all beings. And I hope to see you in the next cohort of Savor This Season. I might change the title, but it's basically uh, a course on being a home herbalist. So uh, it'd be wonderful to see you there. Have a great evening and talk to you soon. Toodles! Toodles!